Listening to Panther Parkway Radio, the official podcast of PantherParkway.com. another edition of Panther Parkway Radio. We're excited to be here uh, talking Panthers again. We had a great uh, meetup this last weekend with some Panther fans as we watched the Panthers play a phenomenal game, though ultimately uh, not a winning game against the Colorado Avalanche. And then, uh, of course, the big win in Nashville on Saturday night as Samuel Montebeau showed that he's got what it takes to be a backup in the NHL. Well, we're excited to be here. We're going to have a great show. Man, coming up later in the program, former Florida Panthers head coach, legend Doug McLean is going to join us in just a few minutes. But before Doug McLean joins us, another Panthers legend, a man who had lots and lots of fans lining up to meet him this weekend, get autographs, take pictures. You know him, you love him, my good friend and yours, Frank Rikus. Hey, Josh, what's happening? It looks like we're gaining a little bit of popularity all of a sudden. Got nice guests coming on the show. Had a great group of fans meet us on uh, Friday night. Pretty cool stuff. Well, I don't know about popularity, at least as far as I'm concerned, but man, there was a lot of people that wanted to shake your hand on Friday night. Well, I'm very pleased that that happened. It was really nice to put some faces behind the uh, the Twitter handles, and there were a couple people that... Um, I haven't seen in a long, long time, so uh, it's great. We thank everybody that came. Um, we're going to do it again. We'll probably do it at a different time just to maybe try to accommodate uh, some more people, but uh, it was great to see. Unfortunately, I didn't sign anything. I didn't bring my felt pen, so uh, maybe next time. Disappointing the masses as usual. Uh, you know. Next time Next time we'll get some... Wasn't on uh, purpose. We'll get <laughs> some 8x10s uh, printed up, and you can... You can use those to sign. We'll, we'll get well, some sharpies. We we do have an official photographer, and uh, That's you know, true. she takes some great pictures. I uh, know Kim Smith. Kim, yeah, yeah Kim. Kim, Kim was there. It was great. We took yeah. we took we took a picture. You and I, we took a picture. We did. It yeah. was great. So, uh, yeah, we had a blast. So thanks to everyone who came out uh, to the meetup, and of course, what a phenomenal game, man! Everyone was feeling good uh, after that first period when we got together. As the Panthers were up uh, three to one at the end of the first, but uh, man, it kind of fell apart. It didn't go the way the Panthers really wanted it to. But they played a phenomenal game on Friday night, losing to one of the best teams in the NHL in the Colorado Avalanche, and then of course put together the shootout victory in Nashville. Uh, so we're going to talk a little bit about that. But before we jump into some of those things, breaking news as we record the podcast. Brian Boyle has been signed by the Florida Panthers. Now, Frank, I know this is a guy that you really like. So tell us why Panther fans should be excited about Brian Boyle. Uh, I think this is a great signing. Uh, He's a perfect fit for the bottom six. Um, He's a forward. They're going to slot him in most likely at center. Could be on the third line just because the fourth line does have uh, some very, very good chemistry with Achari, Hunt, and Sevior. But um, he's an experienced guy. 
He's uh, played for, I think, six teams in his career. Uh, Devils fans love him. Tampa fans love him. I think everywhere he's been, they love him. Uh, he's a big guy, six foot six, 240-some-odd pounds. Um, he's great in the defensive zone. Uh, I posted an article about the signing on the website, and in the article, there's a, a, a YouTube clip of him nailing uh, somebody on Dallas. I don't remember exactly who it was, but... Um, tough customer, great leader, and and great person. And um, I think he's going to be a fantastic addition to the team, and he's going to really give us a boost, uh, especially at the defensive times when um, you know you, you have a key face-off or you, you need some extra defensive minds out there and players that aren't going to make a mistake. So I'm excited about this. Yeah, he's a guy I like. I don't like to play against him, but now that you have him, um, I think fans are going to love him. And he scored 18 goals last season, believe it or not. I think some people overlooked that. They were thinking, oh, he's old or he's slow or he's not useful. You know what? I'll take 18 goals for a bottom six player any day. Yeah, well, I mean, it's the same thing we talked about uh, during training camp when Troy Brower came in on the PTO. Uh, it's like, man, if you have goals, like that's a good thing, you know, last season. Uh, now, I'm super excited about this. I agree with you. I think... Uh, Brian Boyle brings depth to the Panthers that they desperately need. Uh, and we saw a little bit of that depth on Saturday night when the Panthers had uh, to kind of shuffle the lines as Barkoff goes off uh, with injury. We'll talk a little bit about that in a minute. But, um, yeah, I mean, the depth that the Panthers need to be a, a championship-level team is going to come from guys like Brian Boyle, uh, a guy who can play in all situations. And I think Panthers fans have seen that. In the play of Nolachari. I mean, Nolachari is is that kind of guy, that Brian Boyle type, though I'll bet he's a little bit younger. Uh, but that is the kind of guy that you're getting. So now we got two of those guys uh, that can really uh, just bang, get the puck out of the corners, uh, play hard, create pressure on the forecheck, score some goals, and lead the team. So I think this is a great signing for the Panthers. And uh, I'm, I'm glad to see that they are bringing in reinforcements of the type that uh, the team really needs to see. So Brian Boyle, now a Florida Panther. But in order to get there, they had to make some room. Now, it's been a weird weekend for the Florida Panthers. I think it's even been weirder for Panther fans because Panther fans have been really upset by this decision by head coach Joel Quinville to bring Mark Pesic out of the, the, the press box, but not to play defense, to actually have him play on the third line in a winger position while scratching Henrik Borgstrom, scratching uh, Jace Halichuk, and now Henrik Borgstrom gets sent down to the Springfield Thunderbirds. Uh, man, kind of crazy moves, and we'll talk about hmm. Borgstrom in a minute, but um, let's talk just for a second about Mark Pesic. So Mark Pesic came in playing third line wing on Friday night against Colorado, and then again on Saturday night. And uh, what were your observations as far as the way Pesic was playing in that forward role, Frank? He didn't do anything to hurt the team. And, um, yeah, I think everybody was caught by surprise on Friday night when the lineup came out that he was actually going to be dressed as the seventh defenseman. Um, obviously, some people were chatting that, well, maybe somebody on the forward unit's going to um, you know, be double shifted, but... I think Quenville was trying to send a message and a number of messages. One message is, obviously, by sitting uh, Borgstrom and Howerluck, uh, he's not happy with what he's seeing or what he's not seeing, right? Something is missing there. Something is wrong. And 
you know, Borstrom is not going to be a fourth line player. Even third line is kind of iffy at this point. While he could have played there, uh, it's probably not his strong suit because, you know, he's a he's a very gifted playmaker, at least in college and in the American Hockey League. We haven't seen that yet here at the NHL level, uh, and Quenville is not the only coach that hasn't seen it. He's just made his decision a heck of a lot sooner. Howard Luck's not in the lineup either, uh, something that he's not seeing with him. And you wonder, well, why wasn't Borkstrom sent down and somebody else called up instead so that you could at least slot a forward in? Well, maybe he doesn't like what he's seen or what he's heard about the players down at Springfield either. So this is his way of saying, look, you got to find me a player. And until you find me a player, Pissick is going to play on the wing. And I think that sends a clear message to a lot of people. And I don't think people thought about that at all. We're not just going to give these guys ice time because – they're highly touted, they're gifted, and because they they um, should be there. No, you have to earn it. This is a whole new a whole new thing going on with Quinville. He's not going to give you ice time. And you know, like I said in my article today, if he doesn't make this kind of move in game eight till game twenty five or thirty, it's too late. Stuff's already been happening. So uh, I like what he did. I really do. Yeah, I agree. I mean, I think that message that was sent to the players is you have to give 100%. And I, you can even see it, you know, in training camp with, with the Panthers. Like, Quinville was making the guys play at game speed and game pace on day one of training camp. Uh, he's not playing around. And, no. and so at the end of the day, uh, either you're going to come out and you're going to play to the best of your ability or you're going to sit. And I think he showed that on Saturday night uh, by benching Jonathan Huberdeau and Evgeny Datnoff. Um, he's showing that he's not going to give partiality. He doesn't care what you get paid. He doesn't care what you did last year. He wants you to play the way you're supposed to play. And Mm -hmm. uh, he's going to play guys that play the way he wants them to, and he's going to bench guys that don't. And I Mm -hmm. think that Borgstrom got caught up in the crossfire a little bit of that. But I want to talk for just a second about this kind of weird culture that we live in. Like, you know, now we have, you know, social media has become a huge part of the sports fan experience. You know, you're not just turning on a TV and watching the game. Uh, You know, it's a whole different thing now. You're tracking what's going on on Twitter. You're looking at advanced statistics. You're, You're listening to other people's opinions. And that's what they are. They're opinions, even though sometimes we treat them like fact. They're opinions. And honestly, it gets us into this weird position where sometimes I think guys get overhyped uh, coming out of the draft, coming into, uh, you know, out of college or whatever, and in a way that's not really fair. Uh, I mean, if we're being real, it's not really fair on the player. It used to be back in the day, you would watch hockey and all of a sudden your favorite team would have a new player, usually a guy you've never even heard of. And you'd go, huh, I wonder who that guy is. I wonder what his story is. There was no you know, Wikipedia to look it up or anything back then, you would just be like, oh, that's kind of cool. Look at this guy. And then the guy would play well or he wouldn't play well. And that's how you would determine if he was good or not with how he played in the game. Now, we we talk about guys on draft night like they're the second coming of Wayne Gretzky. You know, (laughs) guys that are 18th, 19th, 20th picks because the TSN panel has to talk about them. They start comparing them. They're like, oh, this guy is like James Neal Light. Or this guy is like a heavier version of, you know, uh, Jordan Eberle or whatever. When it's it's a guy that might not even make it to the league. Like, most guys don't make it to the league. If you hit 
on uh, one guy in your first three rounds that makes it to the NHL, that's considered a successful draft. So now, instead of judging guys based on what they actually did in the NHL, we start to prejudge them before they even make it. So we talk about a guy like Henrik Borgstrom. Now, I'm not saying that Borgstrom is not going to become a phenomenal player. He might. He might be a phenomenal, you know, perennial all-star NHL scorer. I don't know. And neither do you. That's the reality. No That's yeah. the reality. Nobody knows. So, right. you know, uh, you can say are what you, you want. Wait, are you saying, when you say you, are you saying me or are you saying you to the audience? You to the audience and you to, and to you, <laughs> you know? Like, you don't know if he's going to be good no. or not. Nobody does. It, it's no. it's all a crapshoot. And so this guy is is supposed to be good. He was drafted in the first round, which is good sign. He played really well at the University of Denver. That's great. I know he was ranked like in the top five prospects that are not playing in the game. You know what that means? Zip. Go into the game and see what he does in the NHL. And if he's not producing, then he's not going to play. And, and the reality is he didn't do a whole lot. He played 50 games last season. And do you mm-hmm. remember really seeing Borgstrom do anything spectacular? No. On a con- no. No. And no. you know, pe- people can say all they want that, well, he was on the third line. He was on the fourth line. Well... He didn't deserve to be any higher than that. Right. So so let's stop saying like, hey, this guy deserves or this guy should be or this guy's better than this guy until they actually show it. Like right. in the NHL. That's that's when you know when you can you know when you can determine whether or not someone's good at playing in the NHL? When they're good at playing in the NHL. That's when you can determine <laughs> whether or not they should be there. Like it's so silly. And, and and I know I get caught up in it too a little bit. Um, but you know, I just wish we wouldn't put so much pressure on guys because well, that's, yeah, we that's put so thing. much pressure on them. Like not only from an organizational point of view, but from a fan point of view, uh, we, we look at some of these guys and we think they're going to be the savior. You know, is Denny Sanko going to be good? I don't know. I hope uh-huh. he is. You know, is Borgstrom going to be good? I don't know. Is Owen Tippett going to be good? I haven't seen it. Like is, is uh, Spencer Knight going to be a, an all-star contending goaltender? I hope. But there's no way to know until they're actually there. And I just think we've missed some of that in the years that social media and draft day, you know, shows. You know, the draft used to happen in a hotel conference room and nobody was even there. Like the guys would get drafted. They would know because they got a phone call that said, hey, by the way, Boston drafted you. And they'd be like, oh, how about that? Like it was (laughs) not that thing. Uh, Now now it's this big production. And I think we do ourselves a disservice to get overhyped. About guys coming up and thinking, oh, if this guy was on the team, like everything would be different. Bergstrom is not ready for the NHL. It's really clear. I don't know what else to say. Like it's super clear that he's not, and that's okay. Let it be okay for him to need to grow into the role, uh, rather than trying to pigeonhole him into a position that he's just not ready to play. So that's that's the end of my rant. But I just felt like I needed to get that off my chest. Well, I you know. If, if I could talk for a minute or two on top of that as well, you know, I'm seeing some stuff on social media even now while we're on the show about, you know, the decision to send him down and you're going to hire a older veteran player who's too slow, who, you know, why are you taking a spot from a young kid who's going to be better? He's going to be a superstar. He has a lot more upside. Well, maybe he does. And like you said, maybe he doesn't. But as of right now, this team wants to win today. They don't want to win in three years, in five years. They want to win today. And they're going to make the decisions to give them the best opportunity to win today. This signing of Brian Boyle, low risk, 
high reward. It's a one-year deal. I think he's getting 940000 for those that are asking. Uh, I think it's an outstanding opportunity for him to come here. You think he would come here if he didn't think he could play for Quenville? You think he would come here? Because there were other teams looking at him. And obviously, he picked the Florida Panthers as his best opportunity to, A, get playing time and hopefully see the playoffs. So um, the Borkstrom thing is going to work itself out. We don't need to rush him. I'd rather have him play in the top six than on the third line. And if that means he spends one more year in Springfield, okay, then that's what has to happen. Go down there, dominate, get your confidence, and then come back next year and let's you know do it again. And you know who's proved that they can play in the NHL? Brian Boyle. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you know, yeah, like like yes. last year, 18 goals. Last year, Borgstrom, eight goals. I mean, yeah. how do you – you can't really get any more clear than that. Uh, right. Brian Boyle's proved that he belongs in this league. I know he's older, but you don't deserve anything. I mean, isn't that the problem with our culture right now that everyone's complaining about young people coming up with entitlement issues like outside of hockey? Um, like there's no entitlement in hockey either. Like either yeah. you can play or you can't. And there's not right. really a, uh, well, he's supposed to be. No, no, it's who are you? Are you ready to play or are you not? And that's and, it. And you and I know we've ruined as an organization, a lot of players a because ton. we rush them too soon. So if this guy is a prized possession, then let's give him the time to mature and play hard and be and, and be the player he's supposed to be if he's going to be that player. Playing college hockey, going to the AHL for 50 or 40 games and then coming to the NHL, those are three vastly different um, um, styles of play. And you have to be ready for each move. So, absolutely. I Enough agree. on that. So, speaking of prospects that were highly touted, Alexander Barkov, uh, captain hmm. of the Panthers, guy who did work out so far, uh, injured in Nashville. But, you know, there's been a lot of speculation that he's been injured for a while. Now, we don't know if, if he aggravated something or if he hurt himself or what's going on, but um, Barkov out of the lineup. We have yet to be told whether or not he'll be back in the lineup on Tuesday night against Pittsburgh, though there seems to be some not official indication that he might. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, I mean, not playing uh, for most of the game in Nashville. And man, didn't Dennis Malgin look good in Nashville? Woo! He's He is the example right now of someone who's been given an opportunity and he mm-hmm. is grabbing it by the cojones. Um <laughs> He does not want to go back to Springfield. He wants to stay here. He wants to play. And you know what? If your head coach can instill that will and desire in you and, you know, kind of wake you up a little bit, okay, and we're going to benefit from that. That's great. Yeah. I I love it. No, I I agree. I, I, I wasn't all that, you know, how can we say confident, if that's the right word, in Malgan, because he has shown a lot of inconsistency uh, in the past. But right now, he looks he looks very very good and let's let's hope he can maintain that pace. Well, and I think that's going to be the key is is maintaining it. But right now, if Barkov doesn't play, I hate to say this, but Dennis Malgin might be the best center on the Panthers. Well, and you know, and speaking of Barkov not playing, um, I asked a couple people on Friday night. Uh, nobody knows or knew that he was hurt, injured. He at least he wasn't saying 
that he was. So whether he had something little that was nagging and then it got, you know, uh, it came to the forefront on Saturday night against Nashville, he never said anything. So as far as we know, he's been, he's been healthy, but let's face it, the way he's looked since opening night indicates that maybe something else was wrong, or maybe it was a little bit of a nagging injury. He did take that big hit, um, in one of the Tampa exhibition games. And we, you know, all feel you and me included that since then he hasn't been a hundred percent. Uh, and uh, regarding what he has and what's wrong, a word to the fan base, a coach Q coach Quinville team is not going to disclose the injury with it with him. It's upper body, lower mm. body. That's it. And you're not going to get any more than that publicly. Yeah. So and, and that makes sense to that. And that makes sense. Right. Yeah. So you're not going to, you're not going to tell him. You're not going to no. tell what it is, and 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 they're not the Panthers for the most part. Unless he's going to lose some games, he, they're not going to talk about it. No. Um, but it's clear to everybody that there's something going on. Yeah. So I mean, I don't think we should be jumping to conclusions. Some people are are questioning like work ethic and stuff, like conditioning. Like I don't think that's it. I think it's it's no. pretty clear that there's something wrong. Um, so we'll we'll find out. I'm sure at the end of yep. the season, uh, somebody will tell us what happened, but. Um, yeah, I mean, uh, obviously Barkoff is not been himself and if Barkoff is himself, uh, this team's going to look pretty good. So, yes, uh, exactly. you know, it'll, it'll come around and, um, you know, I think the, probably the biggest issue for the Panthers, uh, this season so far has been defense. And I think that's the thing that, uh, we really need to talk mostly about is mm-hmm. defense has just been atrocious and it's not, it's getting better. I would say this every game. They've played so far this season. I think the defense has gotten a little bit better. But uh, there's still a lot of issues with some crazy defensive schemes uh, that just don't make any sense. I noticed particularly in the game against Colorado uh, on Friday night, there were several times where a defenseman way overcommitted away from the puck to, to try to block a shot or something and just totally were caught on the half wall watching the goal go in. Um, there's been a lot of, of, of just really spreading out the defense and not collapsing in on the net the way that they need to. Uh, and then when they are in front of the net, they, they're blocking uh, the lanes for Bobrovsky. Uh, yeah. So there's got to be some adjustment there. I do think that um, there's been some some change, some scheme to it. But it's interesting to watch. I was watching the coaches. Um, and, and, you know, uh, Mike Kitchen is the one who's doing the defensive coaching. Right. Um, and, and I think I think about all those seasons that he was playing or he was coaching with the Panthers before. And mm-hmm. I think that's, you know, uh, that was never an issue. So I think there's just going to be uh, some coaching adjustments that need to take place. And I think it's clear from the way the power play scheme has been and things like that, that there's elements of Bog Bugner's uh, system that Joe Quinville's allowing to continue because they were successful. Don't forget, I mean, the Panthers had one of the best power plays in the league last year. So yeah. if it, it's clicking, he's not going to make too many adjustments. But uh, as soon as it starts falling apart, I would say guarantee that you're going to see some adjustments uh, pretty quick. Because, uh, you know, they're not going to... How many times do you think Quinville is going to let them do that weird drop pass power play entry thing? Uh, not that many more times. That's what I would say. 
Well, if it causes uh, a shorthanded goal, it's probably never going to happen again. But, you know, people say, no, there's no such thing as systems. There's no such thing as style. No, there absolutely is, especially when it comes to defense. And it's not just the defensemen that have to know what their responsibilities are, but the forwards have to know what their responsibilities are. So I think one thing that, you know, and we probably said this last week, uh, we need better back-checking by the forwards, but as far as the defensive responsibilities are concerned, we're still seeing some of the same Bugner-like mistakes from uh, the same the same players. And I don't know if old habits die hard, but for some guys on the team, this is their third system in four seasons, so or maybe three seasons. So it is going to take a little bit getting used to. And remember, when the Panthers hired Bugner as coach their entire system of defensemen kind of changed where everybody's a puck mover. So you kind of have to backtrack a little bit and remember, what are my responsibilities? What am I supposed to do in certain situations? Do I pinch? Do I attack? I mean, how many times last night did we see Matheson in the uh, offensive zone? Quite a few. So, and if he can do it and while not hurting the team, that's fine. But, you know, the minute that that backfires, you know, that's going to stop. So uh, I think over time it's going to get better. Like you said, we have been getting better uh, as long as we don't uh, end up with, as you and I were talking about, you know, three of our defensemen in the top 10 in turnovers in the final statistics for the year, you know, that'll be a definite improvement. Yeah, I agree. And I think the big thing too is, um, just tightening up in the style of play and not always trying yeah. to jump up on the rush. We've talked about this before. You know, we were talking before the show, but last season, uh, Mike Matheson led the NHL in giveaways. Like, <laughs> he was the number one giveaway uh, in giveaways in the whole league. Aaron Ekblad was number three. Uh, and then I think Keith Yandel was like number six. So three of the top six uh, culprits <laughs> giving away the puck. Uh, were on the Panthers' defense. So it's really yeah. important that they don't do that. Uh, they've been a little bit better this year. Uh, in mm-hmm. fact, the only one in the top 20 so far uh, in giveaways has been Trocek, believe it or not. But uh, they got to be careful because you can't be, you know, you're not going to win very many games if you're constantly giving the puck away. I think Matheson, yeah. I don't want to get it wrong. I think Matheson had, let me look here, I had it, 114 giveaways last season. So 114 yeah. times that he let the other player have the puck. You can't do right. that. You can't do that and win. No. So he's going to have to tighten up. And, and, and I think Matheson gets a lot of crap. I don't think he deserves. Um, I think he's actually played really well so far this season. Uh, but you know they got to make sure that they're tightening up on that. Ekblad's just as guilty. Yandel definitely guilty of those issues. So defense has got to tighten up. But here's the deal. And I want to get to this uh, before we jump in with our guest. Here's the deal. Calm down. Everybody <laughs> needs to calm down, okay? Uh, with that win against Nashville, the Panthers are now tied with the Tampa Bay Lightning. If I told you last season that in Game 8, the Panthers were tied with Tampa Bay, you would be super excited about that, okay? So they're tied with Tampa Bay. I think they're only like one point out from a playoff spot. 
uh, over eight games. They're like four or five points out from first in the division. It's not like the end of the world yet. So it's still really early in the season. Uh, the Panthers are playing over 500. So with that win last night, they're over 500. So they have nine points in eight games. Now, if you want to be a good team in the NHL, you have to play at least 500 for most of the season. And then you have to play in spurts over 500, right? So if you were to break down uh, an NHL season into eight, give or take eight, 10 game chunks, you need to play probably five or six of those 10 game chunks, chunks, you need to play 500. You need to get at least one point per game on average. And then in like three or, you know, two or three or four of those chunks, you need to play above average. So right now, if you were to consider this first 10 games, the first chunk of the season, uh, the Panthers are doing pretty good. They're a little over 500. Uh, If they come out and they win, you know, their next two games, they're going to be way over 500. Uh, And that's fine. You have to kind of take the season in uh, compartments. Now, the points in October count the same as the points in March. So you can't, you know, say, oh, these these games don't matter. But honestly, if the Panthers are 500 for five out of the eight, 10 game uh, stretches, that's going to be okay as long as they're over 500 and not under 500 in the other three. Well, yeah, uh, you, you put it very succinctly here. And the other thing that, you know, I'll take a three point weekend on a back to back any day of the week, right? Uh, we also picked up five out of the last six points of the last three games. So I'll take that, and you can sit on the bench wherever you like if we're getting that kind of uh, performance. You know, we definitely started out slow, and I think that maybe could have been expected just because of, you know, you got three, four new players, you've got a new coaching staff, you've got a new system and all that, and, you know, you can't expect everything to be learned in six spring training games. Uh, spring training, I got baseball on my mind. <laughs> training <laughs> camp games, but... uh we are we are playing better, and I think uh, they're starting to find their way. And I honestly believe that the healthy competition that they're playing is going to make them play better. Yeah, I agree for sure. Um, well, hey, we have a special treat today uh, on our show. Uh, we were able to sit down with former Panthers head coach Doug McLean and uh, get some uh, time one-on-one with him. A really candid interview with Doug. And so uh, we're going to play that now. So enjoy. All right, Panthers fans, we are so excited to welcome to the show legendary Florida Panthers coach, Doug McLean. Doug, how are you doing, man? Thanks for being here. No problem, Josh. Man, it's exciting to to have you here. I want to start out uh, mostly talking about your time with the Panthers. Our podcast is mostly listened to by Florida Panther fans. And uh, so tell us a little bit about what it was like. You were already with the organization uh, when Roger Nielsen was fired. And then one day uh, you're asked to become coach of the Panthers. What was that like? Well, you know, it was pretty, pretty amazing. I mean, it was a highlight of my, of my career, to be quite honest, I guess uh, the day I was named head coach of the Panthers and the day I was named uh, president GM of Columbus, the expansion team would be, without a doubt, the two biggest highlights of my, of my career. But that, that was an interesting one. Brian and I had been together for quite a few years. Brian Murray and I, we'd worked together in Washington and Detroit for seven or eight years uh, prior to Florida. So uh, when Brian came here, he put me in a player development role with Rogers, the head coach. And uh, 
And then, you know, I'm not thinking about, you know, I had been an assistant coach and an associate head coach in Detroit and Washington, but, you know, not really thinking about the Panther thing. I was just thinking I had a job, to be quite honest. And then when uh, when Brian made the decision to, to uh, let Roger go in the offseason, I remember having breakfast with Brian in Detroit, and he said, I was living in Detroit at the time, working for the Panthers. He said, uh, you know, I'm going to have to hire a new coach. And I looked at him. We're sitting at a, at a, I don't know, it was a Denny's or one of those restaurant, breakfast restaurants in, in uh, Detroit. And I looked at him. I said, well, Brian, uh, to, uh, trust me, you'll, you'd be an idiot if you don't give me a chance at this job, <laughs> be your head coach. And, and he looked at me like I was kind of crazy. But Brian and I laughed about that forever. So then it went on and it was it was a, a couple month ordeal because I mean, it was, you know, anytime there's an NHL head coaching job, there was big names. And I remember hearing, you know, Larry Robinson's name was in the mix and all kinds of big names. And I had been really a no name assistant coach and associate coach, but you know, people in Detroit knew me and people in Washington, but nobody in Florida had a clue who I was. So anyway, I remember when I got the job at, at the press conference, uh, I was doing an interview with TSN and this guy said like, uh, you know, congratulations on the head job. He said, were you their fourth or fifth choice? In other words, that everybody else <laughs> turned the job down. <laughs> so I thought, geez, that's not a very good way to start. <laughs> so I was sort of, uh, you know, everybody in hockey knew that I had worked with Brian and knew what I had done, you know, my previous 14 years in, in assistant coach or whatever, but people in South Florida were not very happy. But the funniest thing was, I remember going in the office and they were trying to sell tickets with the Panthers because it was the, you know, we had finished, the Panthers had finished two years and, you know, selling tickets wasn't easy in those days. And I remember, oh, maybe a week or two after I got the job, the Heat hired Pat Riley and all the Panthers staff was saying, oh, no, they get Pat Riley and we get Doug McClain. Oh, no. <laughs> so I was I was a little uptight about that, you know, because Pat was such a legend in the coaching. So anyway, the season started and, uh, you know, we, we lost the first game in New Jersey. And I remember flying home thinking, oh, my God, is this going to be a long season? And we won the next five in a row and things just took off and, and really never looked back. I mean, we were in first place at Christmas. I was the all-star coach uh, because we were in first place at Christmas. And I mean, we had an unbelievable year, but I, I'll never, I know I'm rambling on here, but I, I, I love I, it. <laughs> I remember phoning Brian Strudel in the day I got the job and uh, I phoned him and I said, Brian, I just want to introduce myself. And I had met him the previous year a little bit, but I said, look, I just want to introduce myself. And, and he said to me, he said, Hey Doug, I'm going to tell you something. We got a really good team. We got an unbelievable group of guys and we're going to be a really, really good team this year. And I thought, oh, he fired me up so much. So it was a magical year. Like, it was scary how how well this group played, how it was a mix of great veterans with the Scroodlins and the Lowrys and the Huffs and, the, you know, all that Billy Lindsay and Tommy Fitzgerald and Scott Mellonby and, you know, Murph on the blue line and Paul Laws. I mean, I, I just, you know, I, the names excite me because they played so damn hard for me and they were such good guys. And then we mixed in, Niedermeyer was a kid at 21. Radek Dvorak was an 18-year-old. Jovanovski was a 19-year-old. I mean, we mixed in some, uh, Rhett Warner was a uh, was an 18, 19-year-old playing for us. So we really mixed those kids in with the veterans and it was an unbelievable group in the dressing room, chemistry, spirit, the way they played. So it, it was, 
I'm serious. I mean, I think back, it was 20 years ago, whatever it was, or 22 years ago, but it was an unbelievable uh, experience. And I still get goosebumps when I think about it, to be quite honest, because it was such a, it was so magical to watch what was going on here in South Florida and all over the hockey world, to be quite honest. Well, it's such an interesting time because South Florida really rallied together around the Panthers. Uh, I mean, you talk about Pat Riley, but I don't think that that was the major story that year. Uh, you know, the major story was what the Panthers were doing uh, later on in the season. Um, so talk about the Rats. I know this is a tradition uh, that you were around for, um, and I'm sure that you kind of know the origin of it with uh, Melonby and stuff. But when that started happening, is that kind of when you began to realize, like, wow, the fans are really into this? Well, yeah, because it was a little, you know, the first few games we we weren't sold out. Then as we won, it started to pick up. And then I'll never forget in the dressing room. We're at the old Miami arena. I'll never forget. I was out and doing the, uh, the post-game press conference, and I came back into the – the coaching office and Lindy Ruff was there and Dwayne suddenly said, Oh my God, uh, Melanby just killed her. Uh, he, Beezer and Melanby or Melanby killed a rat in the dressing room. I, it didn't surprise me that there was a rat in there, but it surprised <laughs> me that it killed him. And Beezer went out to the post game and said, Hey, uh, Melanby got a rat trick. He had two goals and he killed a rat in the dressing room. It was, it was amazing to watch what happened after that. It, like, it was frightening to be on the bench and, you know, it started partway through the year, and then it just went to an unbelievable level. And I remember in in one playoff game, uh, they had that, they put the Orkin pest control on the ice as a little bit of an advertisement that marketing geniuses did at the time. And 976 rats were picked up off the ice in, in wow. after one goal. After one goal. Wow. So, you know what, and, and to see Wayne Izinga, and, and Marty, his wife, throwing rats on the ice. To see Jack Nicholas sitting next to him throwing rats on the ice after each goal. It was like, it was such a great story. I remember my mom and dad were in PEI at the time, and, and the frenzy was going on in the playoffs. And they were they were throwing socks at the TV. Like, they'd roll up their dad's socks, and they'd throw them at the TV like they were making on rats. So I remember telling Dan Levitard that in an interview. And two days later, a case of rats are sent to Prince Edward Island, which is like 2,200 miles from here. <laughs> Wayne Izinga sent a case of rats to my parents so they didn't have to throw socks at the TV. So, <laughs> But, it, you know, we'd be, I'd be driving home from the rink, you know, on game day and driving back to my, you know, to the hotel or whatever and after practice and, you know, they'd, they'd come on the radio with a bulletin. Hey, J.C. Penny just got rats in. Everybody get their J.C. Penny. They just got a shipment of rats in. So, you know, and all the stores were announcing when they were getting the rats in. So it, it was like, I'm serious. It was just an unbelievable fun time. And uh, you couldn't go anywhere in South Florida. Like I was living out in Coral Springs. But I, honest to God, I'd pull up to the toll booth, okay? To, you know, when I was going to the, taking the turnpike down to Miami for the games. And I'd pull up at the toll booth and, I'd pull up to put my dollar in and they'd say, oh, no, the people in front of you just picked up your tab and they'd be waving. I'm thinking, geez, this is unbelievable. It was just it was just an amazing, amazing time. And it's funny. I still in Canada when I'm up there or, you know, lots of times if I run into people and I'm down here in Florida, people say, oh, my God, what a year that was. Or if I have to go to a Panther game. Uh, you know, I still run into uh, fans that just absolutely loved that year. So yeah, it was it was pretty cool, to be quite honest. But I know I've rambled on here, but 
it, it was such a fun time. Hey, man, for you, you can ramble all you want. Uh, I love hearing those stories from back then. Uh, you know, it's kind of cool. So we had opening night a couple weeks ago for the Panthers this season. And um, I don't know if you saw pictures or video, but there was a ton of people there. Uh, I think it was a sellout for the home opener, but it wasn't a sellout like they traditionally do. I mean, there was so many people and I saw a ton of Van Beesbrook jerseys and Jovanovsky jerseys and uh, Billy Lindsay jerseys. And I think that excitement from that year still carries on in the hearts of people in South Florida. So I want to ask you this, uh, as the Panthers are heading into this season, obviously they made some big acquisitions uh, with Sergei Bobrovsky and adding uh, Joel Quinville as the coach. Um, what do you think the team needs to do to kind of get back to that time where fan interest was at an all-time high? Well, it, you know, it's it's that's the tough thing. I mean, we were a third-year team, and you go to the Stanley Cup Finals. I never thought that would ever, ever, ever be beaten. I just, honest to God. And then my, obviously, my good buddy, Gerard Galland, who worked for me for 10 years in Columbus, and who I actually taught in school in PEI, uh, in the old days, uh, you know, they go in their first year. So, I, you know, the Panthers just need some consistent playoff appearances. That's all they need. Look, I, I've said all along, there's still ten or 11,000 unbelievable, loyal Panther fans that are here, and they're, they're dying for something good to happen. And, you know, Dale, you know, this summer was a big summer for them. They've been rebuilding for a long time. And, you know, just, you know, just haven't been able to, get there yet for a variety of reasons, you know, but I, where they are today with, with Huberto, with Barkov, with Dadanoff, with Trochuk, Hoffman's a score. I mean, I, I, a cherry's a good depth guy. They've added Ekblad looks like he's ready to take a step. Mathis and solid Yando. I mean, I just think, you know, they pick up Strawman and, and Bobrovsky's the big guy. So Bobrovsky's got to get it done. You know, he has got to get it done. He's won one playoff round in seven years in the NHL or whatever it is. One playoff round. And he has been the reason Columbus got in the playoffs. The number one reason Columbus got in the playoffs the last number of years was Bobrovsky's regular season play. It was spectacular. It was as good as any goal in the NHL. I look today, he's got an 870 save percentage right now. So a couple of off games. He won them one game, you know, where he was stood in his head. He's got to be the guy. And allow the kids like the Barkovs and the Uberos, who are still young players, to, to grow. But they need that backstop. And they, you know, Luongo gave it to them, you know. But you know, in fairness to Luongo, he was later in his career when they were having expectations of him leading the way, and he just, you know, I thought he did an unbelievable job. But the team wasn't good enough. So Bobrovsky's got to stand on his head. Their defense has got to be a lot better. They, they just need that blue line to play better because they had all kinds of firepower. I've got to make in the playoffs. I think they're going to have a good year. I like Joel as a coach. He's a solid guy. But, you know, let's, it's, it's, you know, I talked to Jimmy Rutherford one day. He said, you know, I said, Jimmy, what, what makes a good coach? And Jimmy said, and Jimmy, Jimmy's had pretty good success in the NHL, three Stanley Cups as a GM. And he said, Doug, Doug, a goaltender is what makes a good coach. Let's not kid ourselves. I had Van Beesbrook. He made me look like a real good coach. Joel's got Bobrovsky. He had Crawford in Chicago. You know, he had Taves. He had Kane when they were young kids, and he brought them along. Same situation here. They've got a chance to be really good. So I, I hope, you know, I hope. And the ownership seems to be 
calming down. I know every time new ownership come in, and I mean, how many have they had here since I've been here? Like, are you serious? Like, it just doesn't end, you know? And they get too involved, and they think they're going to do this, and they think they're going to do that. Let Dale and Joel run the team right now, and and I think they've got a chance to have some great success this year. I really do. Yeah, so I wanted to ask you one one last thing. Um, so you've been an NHL GM, and I think sometimes uh, being a general manager in this league is one of the most misunderstood positions because I think fans have some crazy expectations that you know GMs are going to pull off this amazing trade and just change the course of the team. But I know it's not that easy. What do you think are some of the things that fans misunderstand about the role of a general manager? Well, you know, the number one role of the GM is is managing your team and being around the team and working with the coach every day and talking to the coach every day and and working through issues, putting out fire. So that that's a big part of a GM's job. I mean, most of them travel with the team. You know, most of them are around the big team a lot and also keeping ownership in check. In other words, dealing with ownership, keeping them away from the coach. Like, like I heard horror stories from George Land about what went on here when he was here. Like, just absolute horror stories. So that's a big part of Dale's job. Obviously, managing the scouts is a big part of his job. Does Dale get a chance to see the, the drafts? Well, he sees the top guys. But the GM can't get out and scout the, the deeper rounds. So Dale would know the first round pick, the second round pick. But after that, He's got to rely on his scouts and he's got to make sure he's got a good scouting seven. And Dale's always been on top of that. So that's another big part of the job. And obviously the other part is managing the salary cap and making sure when you're negotiating contracts, you're keeping the, you're keeping the team building in mind and making sure that the dollars are there to spread it out evenly. You know, you've got Toronto Maple Leafs with 44 million tied up in four players. That's tough to build a team around, you know, so, you know, that, those are the real responsibilities. And it's, it's a tough job. Like, you know, Dale's been doing it. Dale's a lifer. He's been doing it a long time. And he knows what he's doing. And I think they're in good hands. But Joel, an experienced coach, I think finally, like how many coaches have come and gone here since I was here? Like, are you kidding? They probably had 20 coaches, like 20 years. So now there's stability there. Vinny Viola, give him credit. I don't know the guy. I've never met him in my life. I met Sifu and that was was a disaster but other than uh, you know but other than you know Vinny is Vinny has stepped up and Vinny Viola deserves some big time credit right now for how he stepped up and I just hope it goes really well and it becomes electric you know I went down to Bruins game last year and you know it was a, it was a decent crowd and it was it was fun to be there but they were out of the playoff race then, and it's just not the same. They just need that big race and, and to do some damage in the playoff time. And I really believe the fans will come back. I, I think they're waiting. They're waiting. And, uh, hey, you know, not unlike what has gone on in Columbus, they've been really patient here. The fans have been patient. And I know that it looks empty, and I used to give them shots on, on the, my show, but, you know, they, they must have had empty seat night and stuff like that. Oh, anyway, I got ripped a lot by the Panther fans. That's okay. So anyway, I mean, I think it's ready. I think they're ready to take a big step, and I'm excited about the season, to be quite honest. I may even try to go to a few games. So, Yeah, I know you told me that you're back in, in South Florida, so hopefully we'll see you uh, at some games. And uh, I think Panther fans are ready to welcome you back uh, into their hearts. Um, so hopefully uh, we'll get some time with you some more uh, down here in South Florida. Doug, thank you so much for doing this. Yeah. I appreciate it. 
Anytime, Josh, and uh, good luck with the podcast. And again, uh, great luck to the Panthers. I hope they uh, have a have a great year and a big run. Thanks, Doug. Appreciate it. Okay, Matt. Take care. What a great interview with Doug. Oh, man, that's so fun. Uh, it was awesome to get to do that. I'm so excited that he uh, was willing to come on the show, and he was just a great guest. So, uh, man, that was cool, wasn't it, Frank? That was fantastic, and I, I love that he's uh, so talkative and um, descriptive, and he loves telling these old stories and about his time here and all that. So, yeah, I've always liked him. He's always been uh, one of my favorite guys. Do you remember uh, like that time he was describing when he was saying, like, the bulletins would go out on the radio. Uh, like, I don't remember that, but I'm sure it happened. You know, people would say, oh, there's rats at JCPenney. There's rats over here. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I, I don't remember that, but that's that was pretty funny. I love it. I, I love, too, when he was talking about his parents uh, throwing the socks at the TV and all that. Uh, man, great stuff from Doug. And we're super thankful that he uh, was able to get on the show. He spent a, a long time uh, the last few years at Sportsnet. Uh, on the Hockey Central uh, show, and now he's just mm-hmm. uh, hanging out in South Florida. So maybe we'll see him at a game soon. Um, he's he's kind of done with the the broadcasting thing. Uh, but man, great guy, great stories, and uh, we're definitely going to try to have him on again because he's uh, he's a great guy. I love I love interviewing Doug. That was so fun because all I have to say is go, and then Doug just fills the whole time with his stories. So yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. Yeah. Um, so that was awesome. Good guys. Well, thanks for um, you know listening to the show today, uh, and for thanks to everybody who came out uh, to be a part of the meetup. Uh, we really enjoyed that on Friday night. Uh, make sure you follow PantherParkway.com. Uh, we we like to say the Panther Parkway is the New York Times of Florida Panthers news and information. Uh, you can get lots of awesome opinion pieces, news. Uh, Frank had a great article uh, just this last weekend, so make sure you check out all that stuff. Uh, and see what's going on over at the website. You can also follow along uh, on Twitter at Panther Parkway. And I have a new Twitter at Josh underscore PP Radio. Josh underscore PP Radio. Uh, and of course, you can follow Frank at Frank Rikus. Uh, we'd love to interact with you over there on the social media. And you can follow our Facebook group, Panther Parkway Hockey Talk, on Facebook and be a part of that as well. Uh, So we really appreciate everyone who is part of uh, the Panther Parkway family. And we cannot wait uh, to see what the rest of the season brings. So uh, on behalf of Frank and myself, we just want to say thank you for listening. I can take you hard.